0: Hello and welcome. This is a podcast Explaining Ukraine by Ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Jarmolenko. I am editor-in-chief of Ukraineworld.org and analytics director at Internews Ukraine. And I am joined by my colleague, analyst and journalist at Ukraine World and in Internews Ukraine Maxim Panchenko. Hello, Maxim. Hello. So this is our typical podcast about the key events uh, in the past month in Ukraine and and around Ukraine. We'll be talking about November 2021. So what were the key
1: events in your opinion, Maxim? Well, first of all, we're going to talk about the security situation, about the build-up on Ukraine's borders and Zelensky's reaction to that. Zelensky calls for direct talks with Russia. We're going to uh, also talk domestically about the Wagner Gate, this big issue that has been developing in Ukraine, about the press marathon of Zelensky and his address, address to the Verkhovna Rada of Ukraine. Uh, also we're going to switch back to international relations, to the migration crisis on the European Union-Belarus border and how it implicates uh, security for uh, Ukraine. And also uh, we may mention the developments that have been going around Ukraine's uh, mass media, namely the Kyiv Post issue.
0: Yeah, let's talk about these issues and um, of course uh, in, during this month we have been talking of, also about in the previous our previous episode about October. The key uh, attention is around Russian military build-up. Uh, and um, the, the presence of of Russian troops on Ukrainian borders and the international reactions to it, so it's it's very important to keep an eye on it, and of course the emotional situation inside Ukraine uh, because of this military build up is very tense, and uh, maybe this is one of the reasons why why Russians are continuing to have this uh, not only military pressure but also psychological pressure over Ukraine. So Maxim, what is what are your uh what what are your impressions
1: out of the whole situation well the story is definitely not new in itself but the uh the tempo with which it is developing the amassing of the troops and uh, the amount of the troops that are being amassed on the border with ukraine uh it's accelerating and it uh, cannot uh, but bother everybody here in ukraine because it's a direct threat um in this sense a very A very important thing is to look around Ukraine and to understand how Ukraine is going or is not going to be supported by its uh, neighbors and partners, because uh, against the backdrop of this amassing of troops by Russia, which Russia, by the way, does not uh, say is going to threat Ukraine, but everybody knows better than to trust Russia. uh, Against this backdrop, um, our partners keep talking about the firm response that Russia is going to have about new sanctions, new political measures and so on. However, uh, it becomes increasingly clear that Ukraine does not have that many options, if any, to be, uh, to be frank, when it comes to the potential uh, security um, support from the Western partners, uh, when it comes to uh, somebody being ready to fight for Ukraine. Of course, we are talking with the United States primarily when it comes to the military support, but uh, other than that, we're not sure that anybody will... Uh, have uh, boots on the ground or something of that kind. And for instance, Mr. Borrell uh, from the European Union has even articulated that, well, the United, uh, the European Union and Ukraine do not have a military union. So yes, uh, the European Union will be uh, supporting Ukraine uh, economically and it will introduce further sex- uh, sanctions against Russia and all of the kind. However. Um, he made it clear that the European Union would not be able to help Ukraine militarily, and maybe the European Union would not even would not even be able to do that in a better situation, even if in, you know, even if there was any uh, military cooperation between uh, Ukraine and the European Union, because as such, the bloc the european bloc is not about military. Yeah,
0: issues. it's not a military organisation. So we all yes. understand this. But uh, compared to some previous episodes, I would say that we are facing much well, much more decisive rhetoric, at least rhetoric from the from Ukrainian western partners, I would say primarily from the United States and United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how basically the Brexit changed the way how United Kingdom is talking about this uh, this this situation and um you, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit in our previous episodes that there is some discrepancy in interpretation of this uh, military buildup because Ukrainian military experts, mm-hmm. um, including th- from the civil society, including those who are not very much dependent on the, let's say, on Zelensky administration, they're saying in the media that uh, nothing has substantially changed since the spring, since April. And we at Ukraine World uh, have been launching discussions about uh, this threat of Russian military buildup. I remember this very well in, in spring. We also have the kind of a, what we're calling escalation life, in which we are uh, producing updates about the situation. You can follow it on ukraineworld.org. But it's interesting that, well, we were, f- we were making this updates in spring and we started to make it again this autumn, right, in November, October, November, primarily in November. So what uh, Ukrainian military experts are saying that... at some point, Russian military buildup is at the same level. It's around 100,000 soldiers, uh, right? So maybe in spring it was a little bit even more. Right now we are talking about maybe 90, 95,000, uh, um, 90,000, uh, right? So uh, my impression is that, uh, and and we see the rhetorics of Russia, uh, it seems that it is really in this rhetoric that it's, it's all fault of Ukraine. Ukraine is going to attack Russia. Ukraine is going to attack the occupied territories. Mm-hmm and i think they are really afraid that the the reaction of the west was uh, is is kind of a much harder i mean the language of the possible sanctions of anthony blinken and of victoria nuland etc we don't know whether they will be implemented of course but the language is much harsher the second int- interpretation that i would have is that Russia increasingly understands that it, it doesn't have much leverage on Ukrainian in internal politics. So while during the Poroshenko rule we have been talking that look there is this you know second force which is a pro-Russian force. Uh, which is funded by Russian money through Medvedchuk, for mm-hmm. example. There was also lots of talk that Zelensky could be a kind of a Russian also project or that they invested into Zelensky in order to, uh, you know, um, kind of a bringing a, a, a president that would not have such a security-focused discourse as Poroshenko did in his past years. But it seems that Zelensky continues to this security discourse, of course, because... He's replying to the uh, appetites and to the wishes of, of the society, and society is, is very much concerned about it. But Zelensky's attack on Medvedchuk and basically led to mar- increasing marginalization of this political force, the opposition platform for life, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Because if, yes. if you look at the latest, uh, latest uh, polls, uh, parliamentary polls, they're not even second, they're not even third so the the opazeje uh, so called has around 9% and it's not closer to 15 or 20% that they, that they used to have so because they they don't have this leverage of their massive tv channels etc so this was a Uh, an attack on this Medvedchuk uh, media empire. Mm -hmm, And in this context, uh, what are the forces, what are the real proxies of Russia inside Ukraine? They're they're becoming increasingly um, less present. Maybe they are present in the particular regions. They are, of course, present in Odessa. They are present in in the Donbass, the government-controlled territories of Donbass. So why I'm saying that is that Maybe Russia, you know, escalates psychologically first to create very nervous situation inside Ukrainian politics and they succeed in this. And second, to press the West, to press the West in order the West presses Ukraine for concessions. And therefore, we see lots of articles, you know, uh, including from the American analysts or, or European analysts saying, look, Ukraine has to do part of this job. Uh, implement Minsk II, adopt constitutional amendments, which would basically introduce a Trojan horse into Ukrainian political yes. body and block any, you know, movement to the European Union and NATO. This, this is the, the Russian game. So maybe this is this is one of the you know, the parts of the games which I see.
1: And there is one more point that may be connected with the certification of the Nord Stream two, uh, that may be a bigger game that Russia is playing. Uh, the, the give-or-take uh, game, so they have the stake of the certi- certification and they are trying to pursue the, the European Union in their own customary way uh, through this escalation, allegedly saying like, guys, you better certificate, uh, certify our uh, pipeline so that you don't have an escalation on another front. So that may be a tug-of-war in this sense.
0: So yeah, and it's important, of course, to to look at this in into in the perspective, in the perspective of these uh, interesting, curious articles published first by Vladimir Putin, then by by Dmitry Medvedev about about Ukraine, Ukraine, Russian history, etc., and to see it in the broader perspective how Russia basically still does not recognize Ukraine as a sovereign actor. Putin says that. Ukraine does not really exist, that Ukrainians and Russians are the same people. Well, this is a, an old joke <laughs> of Russian propaganda that we are so accustomed to. And Medvedev is saying that, look, there is no sense to talk with Ukrainians because they are vassals. We will be talking with the West, etc. We have the reaction to this Russian rhetoric. So we visited Kiev Security Forum, which was... Held on the 1st December, one of the key events, um, key symbolic events, diplomatic events, discussion events, in Ukraine uh, and um, at Kiev Security Forum, a famous American historian Timothy Snyder addressed Kiev Security Forum precisely, addressing these issues of Russia, Russia's vision of its past and of its future. Let's listen to a few minutes of what Tim Tim Snyder. Told uh, at Kiev Security Forum, and then we will continue.
2: Here we see something characteristic about Mr. Putin's regime. There is no future in the way that Mr. Putin talks about Russia. There's only a past, a mythical past. And this is a characteristic problem of his kind of regime. In an oligarchy or in a kleptocracy or a plutocracy, whatever you prefer, where all the resources are captured by a few elites around the center of the regime, it's very difficult to talk about the future. It's very difficult to imagine the future. So in that situation, what the kleptocratic regime does is it produces myths about the past. It fills the space of politics where there is no future with the past. But the problem here is that the story doesn't have Russians in it. The story doesn't have people in it. Um, What the story reveals is just how early Russia is in the development of its own national story. The way that Mr. Putin tells his story, Ukraine is there as a kind of crutch. Belarus is there as a kind of crutch. Russia is unable to tell a story about itself. And so the story that is told relies upon other peoples. So as I say, Mr. Putin's essay is not really about Ukraine. It's really about Russia. And what it's telling us is that the head of state of the Russian Federation is not capable of telling a story that is only about Russia, that Russia has not yet reached the stage of development where that kind of thing is possible. So when we read this essay in the context of the Russian invasion and occupation of Ukraine, what is basically telling us is that Russia invaded Ukraine because Russians do not yet know who they are. Russia under Mr. Putin invaded Ukraine in order to be able to tell a kind of story about who Russians are. And this story, and this is a terrible thing for Russia, this story is entirely negative. The story is that we are the people who are not understood by the rest of the world. We are the people who are not understood when we say we are the same people who the Ukrainians are. We are the, we are the people who are not understood by the Ukrainians when we tell them you and I are the same people. So. What Mr. Putin is creating for Russia is a kind of identification which is mythical, which is located in the past, and which is entirely negative. It's entirely dependent upon other people rejecting what Russians say about themselves and about the rest of the world.
0: So this was Timothy Snyder, uh, the fragment of Tim Snyder's address to Kiev Security Forum. And it's important that he basically is talking that Russia doesn't doesn't have a vision of the future and therefore it talks so much about the past. And in in another fragment, uh, Timothy Snyder said that, well, for Russia, the key threat is China and why it is thinking so much about Europe and the West. This is also kind of a maybe... Ideological trap in which Russia is standing uh, at at this pre- precise moment, but for Ukrainians, of course, uh, it doesn't it doesn't make the situation more simple. So mm-hmm. we are in this nervous situation, um, uh, attending or waiting for, you know, any possible Russian new attack tomorrow. The next month, uh, after six months. And that makes uh, Ukrainian politics so nervous. So let's come back to the internal political agenda. And uh, one of the key issues is, of course, the
1: so called Wagner Gate. So can you tell us a little bit more about this, Maxim? So, yes, uh, in a couple of words, uh, there was an operation in summer 2020 uh, when Ukraine wanted to lure. The participants of the notorious uh, Wagner group from Russia to uh, Ukraine. There was an elaborate uh, scheme how to make them come to Minsk and then to make them travel to Istanbul on a plane and then uh, down the plane uh, on in an airport in in Ukraine. And let's, let's add
0: uh, for those who don't know that Wagner, also called yes. Wagnerovtsy, this is a kind of a, a private army in 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 Russia. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe we we call we can call it a group of you know militias, very well uh, trained uh, trained men, but not official part of the Russian army, but a kind of a, this maybe feudal army which is used by Russia as proxies everywhere in the world. It was used in Syria, it was used in Donbas, it is now being used in Mali, etc. So it's, this yes. is kind of a very mobile external hand, and here we come to the question how Russia, for example, funds something which can be called uh, terrorism terrorist groups right yes Continue. so that's
1: the idea and uh, in fact there is uh, an entire number of such groups in russia but of course the wagner group is by far the most famous i would say notorious in this sense and the idea here was that uh, a big number of these people uh that are members of the wagner group were indeed fighting in uh, have been fighting in donbass and Ugra- ukraine at the first stage of this operation um through organizing this thing. Uh, they tried to gather information about these people, confirmation of their uh, crimes in Donbas, of assassinations they carried out, of their participation in warfare against Ukraine. Uh, and also Ukraine tried to bring it to another level. Ukraine tried to bring those people in and to, to judge them here in Ukraine, to put them on trial. And to show that uh, to the entire world, primarily to to, to Russia, that these people uh, that had been used by Russia uh, for Russia's warfare in Donbass, that they have been brought to justice. But uh, for reasons that are not entirely clear in every detail until this very moment, even though there have been elaborate elaborate uh, materials on this like the recent one by uh, Christo Grozhev and his um, uh, Belinkat and his yes and his colleagues from Bellingcat uh, this operation has not been brought to, to its logical end uh, it was cancelled uh, just a few days before it should have been ended and uh, therefore we have this halfway result on the one hand the first stage of the operation has succeeded Ukrainian uh, bodies have succeeded in uh, Um, gathering this information and confirmations of crimes of these people in Donbass. So we have material with which we can prosecute. But uh, Ukraine did not succeed in stage two. It did not uh, eventually bring those people to Ukraine in order to effectively put them on trial.
0: The situation is very complicated so uh, I would say that we will try right now to describe what the sides are saying what, what mm-hmm. the critiques of Zelensky are saying and what the allies of Zelensky, Zelensky himself and his uh, the, the, the his top official Andrei Yermakis are saying because for me personally the situation is still very unclear and we actually don't know the full information but the the uh, the the climate the emotional climate is very very tense because what zelensky's opponents are saying is that there's there is there is a treason this is a treason this was a very important operation bringing all those war criminals you know uh to to justice and somebody zelensky or some people around zelensky cancelled this operation so what zelensky and yermak are saying that there was no operation and it was not initially justified or given a green light by Zelensky. So, and what they are also criticizing is the very fact, the very idea of bringing thirty or thirty-something people, uh, militarily trained, on a passenger train uh, to Turkey or uh, by Turkish airlines with all you know civilians on board and putting it, landing it. Uh, making it emergency landing on, in Kiev. So th- what they are saying that this would be this would present a, a huge risk for the civilian population and for the people in this airplane and uh, the problems. What Zelensky was saying during the press conference: huge problems uh, from w- of Ukraine with Turkey, for example. And let's not forget that at the current moment, Ukraine. Turkey relations are very important for Ukrainians very uh, awesome. in the in the security sense of the term, in the military sense of the term, etc. So these are kind of uh, uh, key things. Uh, a few days ago, there was a big interview of Andriy Yermak to RBK, uh, U- Ukraine, um, maybe even yesterday or, or the day before yesterday when he was, you know, developing this story again and again. But uh, the funniest thing is that, for example, we will come to this issue later. Uh, or this war of Zelensky with oligarchs, primarily with akhmetov But I remember when the, at the first time when this information appeared, and it was uh, appeared thanks to journalist Yuri Butusov. Uh, Ahmetov TV channel, U- Terka Ukraina, there is a one of the most popular TV up talk shows, Svoboda Slova, the Freedom of Speech, by Savik Shuster. So the reaction to this was very skeptical. And when Ahmetov was okay with Zelensky, mm-hmm. so uh, I remember that in the studio probably Mr. Butuso was the only one to argue that this was, uh, this was an operation, etc. And there were many people who were saying, No, come on, you cannot, you cannot really make this operation with the civilian plane, because you put so many people at risk, right? Now, if you watched the the same TV show, the same talk show after this Zelensky press conference, when there is a clear conflict between Zelensky and Achmetov, the richest person in Ukraine and the most powerful person in Ukraine, let's say, well, the discourse was totally different. So they were not mentioning any, you know, Possible problems for the civilian population, for passengers, etc., etc. This uh, this is to to give you an idea that how much politicized in Ukraine this story is.
1: Yes, and essentially everything here is about the optics of things. And uh, an important thing that needs to be brought up, I think, is that it's not very much about whether this was a treason, because yes, that can be something said by opponents of Zelensky, but I don't think this is a matter of treason. That was a political decision by which Zelensky will be judged, at which Zelensky will be judged uh, during the next elections and, you know, uh, by his legacy. However, he had power to do that as president of Ukraine. Uh, And I can understand that there were security risks that maybe Russia would have called it state terrorism and used it as a a pretext to attack Ukraine. There may have been thousands of options. However, what really needs to be scrutinized here is that if everything was, so, if this justification to cancel this operation was so straightforward, why does Ukrainian, uh, why do Ukrainian authorities not just tell it? Why are th- so are there so many inconsistencies, and so uh, so many different uh, ways in which they try to justify this? They are contradictory. So.
0: But Zelensky and Yermak, <coughs> what they are saying is that there was no operation. So they cannot really say that it was canceled because it was not uh, authorized, so. you know, the, the second part. So, But the question is, OK, if the second part was not authorized, this the first part was authorized. So this Wagner militias were brought to Minsk at some point. Mm-hmm by certain, you know, logic and authorization. So who authorized this f- first part? Was it for, for example Poroshenko? Was it the previous president, etc., etc. So Zelensky, what Zelensky is saying that he would never authorize this operation because a he is thinking about the lives of civilians and of course we can imagine for example an aircraft which is Put down um, uh, in Kiev, and there are 30 people who are un- who might understand that there is something going on and uh, and hijack and hijack the the, the aircraft. That that is uh, Zelensky's argument, and the second argument uh, is about ukrainian turkey relations. So this is ch- just to give you an idea how complicated life is and how uh, difficult and complicated and emotionally tense are Ukrainian political. Uh, discussions right now. So it's it's not about some big OPT corruption. This is all about such concepts as treason, for example, such concepts as Russian agents uh, on the high level of, the, uh, of administration, for example, because the, the accusation of op- Zelensky opponents is precisely that that Zelensky has people like Ruslan Demchenko around himself, who is said to be one of the key, you know, allies of Russia in, in constructing these uh, so-called Kharkiv ag- agreements that legalized uh, Russian father's stay in Crimea during Yanukovych era, etc., etc. So, yeah, this is it. The second issue with uh, Zelensky, we mentioned already the Zelensky press conference, I would not call it even press conference because it was this tradition that Zelensky tries to implement. That he's he's trying to reduce the distance between himself and journalists, for example, or societies. So he's trying to. Therefore, it's not a typical press conference. He collects people in a kind of a uh, in a kind of a co-working, for example, and they sit on the table uh, and talk like around the table, group by group. But this time. The conversation was very harsh, emotionally very harsh, and Zelensky was very harsh with journalists. Uh, sometimes accusing them, sometimes uh, you know using very harsh language to them, and they were also using very harsh language sometimes to 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 him. And uh, well, we obviously in a kind of a crisis uh, of Zelensky's relations with media because uh, these this gesture of you know reducing the distance to the journalists is now creating kind of a trap because he reduced this uh, distance and now he's trying to say no 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 why you talk with me in this way i'm the president of ukraine he he repeated it many times You
1: know, what were your impressions of uh, of this press marathon well this press marathon i would say uh, was totally about emotions rather than any honest questions and answers um because we have seen mr zelensky uh, in a way that he had hardly allowed uh, himself to behave this uh, previously with, uh, with with the journalists and uh, i wonder how this will be reflected because of course the journalists that were participating in this uh, press marathon uh, they made sure that they delivered uh, their own Uh, discontent with the fact that uh, his emotions may have been unprofessional, that his emotions may have hampered him from providing some clear uh, answers to them. But at the same time, when it comes to um, how potential constituents will perceive this, I think that maybe they will like it. Maybe they will like seeing uh, Zelensky as a kind of a victim uh, in front of all of these, you know, uh, cynical media representatives who are trying to blame him for everything and he in response trying to be that emotional saying like I'm the president like don't try to you know have your uh, undercover games and so on just let's be honest here so he may win the people's hearts by uh, by behaving that way um, if we try to uh, think rationally about this maybe this have, may have not been the best way to uh, for him to behave himself, because yes, he may have won the sympathies, but still he has not provided answers to many crucial things. Uh, so and that's what matters in uh, in public management at this highest level.
0: So we cannot really judge at this moment whether <coughs> this will have a positive impact on uh, on his ratings or not. What we can uh, testify right now that his ratings are not very well, not, mm-hmm. not very good, that his popularity is, is falling and there are more people who are disproving uh, presidencies of Zelensky than those who are proving that. The recent poll uh, says by Kiev Institute of Sociology says that I think, uh, well, I don't have the exact figures before my eyes, but... Uh, Over 60 percent, if I'm not mistaken, would not would not want Zelensky to be uh, to be running for president uh, during the second term. Over 60 percent, so it's it's already a majority, and around 30, maybe 27 or something percent would want him to run. So. It's, it's also an, imp- an, an important sign for Zelensky, because Zelensky promised, well, promised, he, he said that uh, when he was running for president, that this is only for one term. Now we see that he will probably try to, to do it again. But, uh, but we see that, and for example, the ratings of the servant of the people, well, servant of the people is not, is not already a top one party the top one party the the first place is interestingly now occupied again by Poroshenko's European Solidarity but it's not a you know total winner because we are talking about you know uh, maybe around 20% and less mm-hmm. so this is we, we we basically came back to uh, usual Ukrainian politics when there are many <laughs> actors yes. when there are you know a, at least a dozen political actors when uh, we see that this Zelensky rise in 2019, it was like a comet. And then, you know, everything comes to to usual, to usual terms. Therefore, what I'm saying that Ukrainian domestic authoritarianism is just impossible because there is no, never a person domestically who would be strong enough to control everything. But let's come back to the press marathon. press marathon, the first news which he announced, Zelensky announced at the very beginning, that he has information that there is a coup d'etat planned in Ukraine to take over the power. And he said that uh, Mr. Ahmetov, who are the richest Ukrainian oligarch, is probably being turned into it. So he rather he was not saying that uh, uh, akhmetov is beca- uh, behind this mm-hmm. you know plans of coup d'etat he was rather saying that there, there can be some that there are some talks that they have that uh, in these talks there are one ukrainian and several russians who are uh, suggesting to involve akhmetov and uh, zelensky was warning that Akhmetov you shouldn't be involved. But this, of course, everybody read it in the, in a different way. That Zelensky is, is thinking about a coup d'etat in which Akhmetov will play play the key role. Akhmetov of course, said that well, this is a lie. He he used this very harsh term. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, we have seen as 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 we talked in the beginning, that on the key Ahmedov TV channel on the talk show, we see a you know a clear attack on Zelensky. So uh, in svoboda Slovo, Shuster, there was no representative of, you know, Ukraine of uh, of Zelensky's political power. It, it was very one-sided. It was not a debate. It was really. Akhmetov is now collecting all the critiques of, of Mr. Zelensky, and basically, many of them are his former allies, as Mr. Razumkov, as Mr. Avakov, former interior minister, Razumkov, former uh, former speaker of of the parliament, etc. So, uh, but coup d'etat, well, for my, to me personally, it's a, it's, a, it's a pure fantasy, but what do you think?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I think that irrespective of whether there would have been a coup d'etat or not, uh, of course, uh, Ahmetov has his differences and ever-increasing differences with uh, the president. So uh, he, of course, would be one of the more or less obvious people to stake on if somebody was planning a coup d'etat. Um, at the same time, what... An element that is missing from this picture and it's staring everybody in the face is that, well, coup d'etat could have been done, but who would be proposed to substitute Zelensky immediately and what would be the people that would come to power? Because everybody is talking about uh, who would be behind the coup d'etat, that it would be uh, done through the involvement of Yanat Ahmedov. But nobody is really talking uh, in strict terms about. Who would be the people he would be used to uh, bring into Ukraine's power? So there are again uh, very many unknowns in this respect.
0: But this I mean, former allies. So all these critiques, that we see, for example former uh prime minister Arseniy Yatsenyuk, who is also very often present on Akhmedov TV channels which was not the case before yes. Mr Avakov who is uh, who shares the same story with Yatsenyuk, the the, mm-hmm. the People's Front Narodny Front uh, a very important party after 2000 uh, after Maidan after 2013 14 right let's uh, let's not forget and uh, Mr. Razumkov, uh, Mr. Daniluk, there are so many people, you know, who are, a- as I said, present on the uh, Ahmedov TV channel. So, what is common to all them is that they are they are very experienced politicians, contrary to uh, to to well, except for Razumkov, probably, they are quite experienced politicians. Well, Mr. Smishko is also there. I think they will they will be trying to form a new party, a new coalition or something like that yes. and be preparing That's for the next elections. Okay. And uh, who knows, maybe they, they, they will have chances because maybe it's, it, would, it, it would be interesting to analyze um, the, the, the public opinion in Ukraine, but maybe after this, you know, the fantasies, the, the belief in the fairy tales, which was in 2019. So Ukrainians believed in this fairy tale. And um, we don't know, maybe the kind of a sobering thinking of Ukrainian people will come in and they will rather uh, try to elect some, you know, strong figure or strong hand. And in this case, there will be people like Klitschko, people like Avakov, somebody like that, or Smishko, somebody like that. But maybe we'll have another, you know, absolute unpredictable (laughs) political figure or from show business who will show up. So this is the situation. And, um, well, yeah, Zelensky is showing himself to people as a a big fighter against oligarchs. And therefore, it never happened before. Because before the presidents were either creating this oligarchic structure, as Mr. Kuchma was doing, or they were trying to accommodate, uh, like Mr. Yushchenko was doing, or they were trying to completely cracked the system and to be the only ruler as Yanukovych was doing. Poroshenko was one of the also oligarchs who was trying to be in a kind of, a, well, have war with somebody like Kolomoysky, but to be on good terms with others. And Ahmetov has always been a person who would bring the eggs to all the baskets. So, it's remarkable how Akhmetov can finance, for example, a pro-Russian party like opposition Bloc and absolutely anti-Russian party like um, the, the, the political force of Mr. Leshko, for example. Right. So Akhmetov uh, has been the most cautious, I think, even compared to other oligarchs. So he would be uh, he would be okay to everybody, to the West, to Russia, etc. Therefore, thinking that he is playing a coup d'état is really uh, I think a very, a very, I would say, how to say it, very ambitious, <laughs> ambitious idea. Okay, let's let's go go next and talk about, well, coming back to the Russian issue, uh, a few days after this press marathon, Zelensky uh, uh, talked to Rada, to Verhovna Rada, to Ukrainian parliament. It was remarkable to see that uh, the attempt was to, 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 to show Zelensky as having full support of the parliament because there is a mono-majority mm-hmm. and the majority of the servant of the people. And they were applauding him, you know, with such an enthusiasm, uh, which is not still reminding authoritarian regimes because they are kind of, kind of a more, more vivid and you see the probably frankliness of this uh, applause. But, but definitely uh, the idea was to show that Zelensky is not alone that he is you know supported by a group number of politicians but he's by his party etc he talked a lot about what's going on in ukraine about reforms about roads being built about the changes in, in infrastructure about the way that he is basically launching the judiciary reform etc and to f- say frankly, I'm, I'm personally a critic of Zelensky, but of course something is going on. We see it with our eyes. So we, we cannot just describe his administration as a pure populism, etc. He's He's trying to do uh, many things, but the, the final word that he called for direct talks with Russia, and uh, we still don't know what he means. Does he mean that he wants
1: a bilateral talks with Russia? Probably so, because there are talks in the Normandy format. Well, they may be. There are talks that, in the but... Mo- Normandy format, direct talks. There are talks in uh,
0: Minsk format, Ukraine, Russia, and OSCE. Mm-hmm. But all these negotiations are mediated by somebody, either by uh, France and Germany in Normandy or by OSCE in the Minsk format. Does he mean direct talks uh, without mediators? I would not think so. I hope it's not the case, because... This should raise big concerns from Ukrainian partners because what will happen there? Second thing is that, well, Mr. Putin will only agree on direct talks when there will be a sign of uh, of uh, military defeat. So when Ukraine will, will be clearly saying, OK, we lost the war and we are ready for direct talks. Right. And uh, the Russians immediately replied that you should talk with with those so-called republics rather than with us because we are just mediators so we don't know what will happen out out of of these calls for direct talks let's turn into the uh, surroundings ukrainian surroundings we see this migration crisis on belarus polish Mm -hmm. border and we see how how you interpret i mean i'm sure that all our listeners know the events uh, around it, um, maybe some of you have watched a very uh, emotional, let's say, interview of Mr. Lukashenko to BBC, in which Lukashenko was really showing how how he does not really, uh, you know, care about what, what the West is thinking about him. But how do you interpret the situation with migra- migrants?
1: Well, that, that is, in my opinion, and I think everybody would agree that this is one of the... Uh, further manifestations of the hybrid war that uh, Lukashenko is trying to wage against the west uh, this is the way he's trying to bargain some preferences for him which would be cancellation maybe of some sanctions which maybe uh, would be the further allowance uh, of uh, air uh, travel even in those details that those would be victories for him and uh, because indeed uh, he has not that very much to lose uh, when it comes to relations to, to, you know, to, with the West, because so many bridges have already been burned. So he's trying to, to go nuts, uh, essentially. And uh, he's using people's lives because the, the scheme according to which this is working is spectacular in the worst of ways. Uh, Belarus, Belarusian um, consulates are even rumored to pay people from the Middle Eastern countries to come to Belarus. They are rumored to pay them some allowance for them to be able to stay around the country and then go to the border and try to make their way to, to the uh, European Union. So that is horrible, uh, how, how he's cold-heartedly using that. And, uh, of course, there is, um, in all this security aspect between the European Union and particular states of the European Union, like Poland and Lithuania and Belarus, there is also... A, Uh, an aspect of Ukraine and security implications for Ukraine, because uh, the Polish and Lithuanian borders, well, they are heavily guarded as the outer posts of the European Union. And once Lukashenko will find out that his success on this front is not as big as he had anticipated, that not so many people uh, are getting into the European Union, and the trouble for the European Union may be not that big that he had anticipated. He may try to do Another thing, he may try to push those migrants through Ukraine to the European Union. And that would be a problem for Ukraine, a security one, because, you know, there is this border between Ukraine and Belarus that is, well, let's just say not as guarded as the one between the European Union and uh, Belarus. And then uh, there is this headache that both Ukraine and the European Union would have uh, when it comes to the need to guard the border between Ukraine and the European Union whereas the major uh, the major efforts of Poland are being concentrated on the border between Belarus and uh, and Poland so that would uh, essentially make both Ukraine and the European Union disseminate their attention to a bigger front and that is how maybe uh, Lukashenko would try to uh, to to make the stakes higher i think
0: And it's also part of the information war, because a few days ago there was a a story as if uh, there were some border guards who were shooting at the migrants, and uh, this videotape was spread uh, with this, you know, we see it uh, happening during the night uh with uh, and uh, with, with some equipment we see with, we see the situation and on this equipment it is written priluki In priluki there is a a town in the northern northern Ukraine, in chernihivska oblast uh, and uh, russian and pro russian websites like for example strana which is one of the pro russian websites and information sources were spreading the information well this is this shows that the ukrainian border guards but then there was an investigation by fact checkers, and even some, uh, uh, you know, showing that well, there is Priluki, a village in the Belarusian side. You know, mm-hmm. in Belarus there is a, a village called Priluki as well. So we see, uh, we don't know what what really happened, and if there is was 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 it the shooting? But there was an attempt to show that Ukrainians are shooting at the migrants. You know, on the Ukrainian-Belarusian border, and. Uh, when I see it, Lukashenko, um, I have the impression that, well, uh, clearly that he is not independent anymore. He clearly, he he's following the instructions from Moscow, and uh, Russia is trying you now to play Lukashenko as a bad barbarian. So, of course, we know that. Well, as if they are saying to the West, well, we know that you consider us as barbarians, totalitarians. But we have much worse people around. We had, for example, Assad in Syria. Mm-hmm. That is the bad barbarian, and he's so barbarian that we are the only people who can deal with him. So let, you know, let Syria be ours, and uh, the same with Belarus. So can you imagine this, you know, crazy Lukashenko? If if you want to, uh, if you want to get rid of him at some day, you should you should give a green light for for our annexation of Belarus. The same can do. Yeah, with Ukraine, for example, at some point, that that's what I, they are trying to say. That look, there are crazy Ukrainian nationalists, anti-Semites, bandera fans. You know, do you want them really to to be in Europe? Let's let's keep it as a Russian territory. We will we know how to pacify them. So that's I think that's part of the game because because really Lukashenko is doing in Belarus something that that is unimaginable even in russia and at some point it, it was unimaginable even in the soviet union during stalinist times stalin did not cancel the union of writers for example or something like that so this is a very very pity and very worrying situation of course um another intrigue is related to ukraine is that uh, russia will press belarus to accept uh, annexation of crimea and uh, Lukashenko is trying to maneuver, as, as he always do, and he's saying, well, I'm going to I'm going visit uh, Crimea with Putin, no problem. So that will be, of, of course, the red line for Ukraine, because Ukraine and Belarus are connected economically. And uh, foreign minister clearly said, uh, Mr. Kuleba clearly said that this is a red line. Crimea is a red line. So we can imagine that Ukraine can impose economic sanctions on Belarus. And Belarus, we know that it suffers very much from the Western economic sanctions. So, uh, but the question is whether Be- whether Lukashenko will accept this, you know. And either go to Crimea with Putin, which is already a very bad bad thing for Ukraine, or even formally accept the the annexation, saying that, yeah, he accepts that Belarus in its foreign policy admits that Crimea is a part of the Russian Federation. So there is also a play, a very important play here, and we can ask a question, of course, that Belarus can no longer be a kind of a mediator between Ukraine and Russia. And uh, the question is about Minsk agreements as well in this respect. So we are coming to the end, I think a few developments we can say that uh, as you mentioned there was this development around Kyiv post. the English language newspaper and we have seen that all the editorial team well, well the, the m- at least many of the key journalists uh, were uh, well, were dismissed and they they established a new uh, media Kiev independent so we wish them uh, good luck, of course, because there is not so much information in in English about Ukraine. We we are happy to contribute to, to this information with the Ukraine world. Uh, but we will see what will happen to Kyiv Post it's, uh, itself because whether it will continue to be independent or whether it will be kind of a newspaper, which to, to some extent will depend on somebody in its editorial policy. And we will also look at the future of Kiev independent because we understand that uh, fair journalism in our times is, is a very difficult task financially and uh, in other aspects. Another development is that we had new ministers in, in Ukrainian government uh, in early November. Why do you think uh, it is important, Maxim?
1: Well this is important because uh, primarily uh, several posts uh, had to do and have to do with uh, the with issues of Donbas. First of all, we had uh, the minister of defense replaced. Uh, Mr. Tehran was rumored to be too um, conflicting with the, with the power, so that is why they decided to replace him. And uh, uh, he was replaced by uh, Mr. Reznikov, uh, who uh, is a civilian, which is okay according to the NATO standards. So that is something that has been uh, consistent in Ukraine for, I think, like around five years. Uh, starting with Mr. Polteraki, if I'm not mistaken, who was sacked from his uh, military uh, office and became then civili- a civilian minister of defense. But at the same time, uh, we need to understand against which backdrop this has taken place. We have been talking about these uh, this, uh, this troops uh, around Ukraine's border. And then we have a, a person, a, a change of, of uh, the ministry, Uh, In this time, so of course, we need to keep a close eye uh, on the uh, proficiencies of certain people that are responsible for that track. And of course, uh, because uh, this person had uh, previously been responsible for the reintegration of uh, Donbass, we also have a new minister. There has been this reshuffle, Uh, Mrs. Vereshuk, who is now uh, responsible for, for that track. Uh, for the reintegration, for the Ministry of Reintegration. And there have been quite different opinions about that. Uh, First of all, some say that uh, this is an okay uh, person to, to, you know, to lead this this track. But others say that uh, because she's not that um, vociferous on many issues, that maybe this is a way to... Uh, stole the, pro- the process, not to roll back the process of reintegration, but many people say, like, not much will happen. This will stay just around the state it is in right now. So that's another reason to keep a close eye- eyes on that.
0: From what I hear, Mr. Reznikov is uh, is okay. So, and uh, because the civilian in, in the defense ministry, well, defense ministry is not the army. So he's not a chief commander, right? We have another chief yes. commander, we have general staff, etc. The role of the ministry is to ensure the uh, economic substance for the army so that, you know, army uh, it has all the necessary supplies, for example. And we had a big problem early this year when uh, there was no official uh, so-called state request you know that will um, that that, uh, that will be a legal basis and f- economic basis for enterprises to supply the army and that was a huge problem mm, so and of course the the cooperation with external partners is is very important and here you also would rather have a civilian person who knows how to communicate who knows how to talk how to coordinate a good manager etc but of course we will see uh, we will see what will What will happen? And uh, of course, uh, we are in Ukraine, are very worried about the the, the current situation and what will happen next. But let's be optimistic. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org. And uh, um, I'm also the analytics director at Internews Ukraine. Internews Ukraine is Ukrainian media NGO who launched uh, ukraineworld.org. I was joined by my colleague, analyst and journalist at Ukraine World and Internews Ukraine, Maxim Panchenko. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at soundcloud google podcast apple podcast follow ukraine world on facebook and twitter and subscribe to our website at ukraineworld.org and stay with us thank you very much max thank you very much